Today's scripture reading is found in Matthew chapter 13, verses 31 through 35. Take a moment to turn to the text in your Bible to follow along, and the reading will also be behind me on the screen. He put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. All these things Jesus said to the crowds in parables. Indeed, he said nothing to them without a parable. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Thanks, Vivian. You can be seated. All right, you're going to want to keep uh, your scriptures open uh, to Matthew 13, and we'll walk through that. Uh, If you're new, uh, this is what we do here at the Parks Church. We preach through passages or we preach through uh, books of the Bible. And this fall, we are in a study uh, going through the parables uh, of Jesus. And this is going to take us about 11, 12 weeks to go through some of the parables uh, that Jesus taught. And I I want to start with a question. The question is this. When you hear the phrase, kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven, you just heard it here in Matthew 13, what comes to mind? What comes to, to your thought? Many of Jesus' parables begin with something like what we just heard here from Matthew 13. The kingdom of God is like dot, dot, dot. The kingdom of heaven is, is, is like this or like that. Now, Lord willing and the Spirit allowing this morning, we will get a new picture potentially of what just came to mind when I said, what do you think about when you think of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God? You see, this is an important thought because Jesus, even when he was teaching his disciples how to pray and, and even us, the, the model or form of prayer, within that form and model of prayer, he, he has this line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your, your kingdom, meaning God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Well, what comes to mind that comes to earth when you hear that phrase, right? And in this, this text this morning, we see Jesus use the example of a tiny mustard seed that a farmer plants in his garden, and it gives way to this large tree. And he, he uses this, this idea of leaven. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which I'm going to explain all these things sown into flour, put into flour that permeates everything. And we're all like, those are beautiful images, right? But what does it mean? What do those images mean? What what is Jesus trying to convey to his disciples? And let me, like I said last week in kicking this series off, that Jesus didn't tell parables. And what I mean by a parable is a illustration or a story with a theological point. He didn't tell parables to make everything clear. Jesus spoke in parables both to reveal his kingdom to those who had ears to hear 
and also to conceal or hide his kingdom for those who didn't have ears to hear. You see, what Jesus was doing in this parable and the others that he teaches to provoke the imagination, invite people to see what God is doing in the world, his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven from a new yet divine perspective. And let me tell you, just like what will take place here this morning, some will hear and see and others won't. Some will receive Jesus's word and others will reject it. Paul, he answers the question in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. What is the kingdom of God like? Let's look at how the apostle Paul would answer that question. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Other translations say the kingdom of God does not consist of word, but power. All of them say the same thing about the kingdom of God. That it's not just about speech, it's not just about word, but it is about power. The kingdom of God is a power. The Greek word here, power, is the word dunamis. Dunamis, where we get the word dynamite, dynamic. That's what the kingdom of God is. We like that, right? Evangelical Christians... Power. The kingdom of God is power. That's what Paul said, right? But what kind of power? Let me tell you this morning that it is possible to adopt Christianity, to accept Christianity in word or in talk, to even receive this parable in the simple language that it is yet not receive the kingdom of God for what it really is. It's power. A power that is expressed on God's terms and in God's way, not our definition of power. And what I believe has happened culturally, even in church culture, is that we have adopted or accepted Christianity in word and the power is on our definition. Yeah, we accept it based upon what God has said and what, what Jesus has revealed. However, we have defined the word power. But how then, Kyle, biblically, and how does God define this power? How is this power expressed? Well, let's think about Jesus' audience when he was teaching this parable. The Jews, the Israelites. Now, what did they think that the kingdom of God would look like established on earth? They believed when the kingdom of God showed up, when the Messiah showed up, here's what it's going to look like. It's going to look like power, but it's going to look like political power, militaristic power. It's going to look like physical and political oppression being lifted. That's Jesus's audience. When they hear the kingdom of God is like dot, 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 they're expecting power. But then Jesus says this in a parable. Get this scene. The kingdom of God is like this little bitty seed. Imagine his audience. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. They would be far less kind than you are there. They would be going, what? The kingdom of God is like those two things? You see, what Jesus does in this parable is he brings a healthy disorientation to his listeners. A good 
kind of deconstruction. You hear me? A good, a healthy kind of deconstruction to his hearers about the kingdom of God. And you go, Kyle, a good kind of deconstruction? Yes. One that deconstructs and confronts the social and the religious and the cultural norms of power with the word of God to bring the proper definition and truth that they need. It may not be the truth that they want, but it's the truth that they need. And that is what Jesus is doing in this scene through this parable. And so there's three things I want us to see about the kingdom. First, we're going to see the beginning of the kingdom. We're going to see the growth of the kingdom. Then we're going to see the result of the kingdom of God as it relates to this parable and the power on display. Now, you need to understand this. A kingdom by nature is a ruling power. Just by simple definition, a kingdom is a ruling power. But the beginning of this kingdom, Jesus says, is like this little bitty seed. And so the audience, they, they would have had their interest peaked at that point. That this kingdom and this power is one that is absolutely and utterly surprising. What? So the kingdom of God, this power that Paul is talking about, is a surprising power. Now, let's look at the two examples in the parable, the mustard seed. Now, Jesus is not saying that the mustard seed, because some of you are like, this is where the Bible is obviously makes errors and stuff like that, because the mustard seed is not the small. No, Jesus was not saying that this is absolutely the smallest seed ever on the history of the planet, okay? He's using a seed that is known by his audience in a proverbial sense that the mustard seed was the smallest seed really planted, okay? It was the, the, the smallest seed that they would have known to use in their gardens and things like that. And so he's just using it as a frame of reference to something that they were very familiar with, small mustard seed, okay? That's what's taking place here. And, and, and in fact, the mustard seed was not just small and tiny, it was relatively insignificant, like it was just one of those kind of cast off or throw off seeds. And in fact, and in, in some, some scholars would say this, that the mustard seed would relate, like his audience would relate the mustard seed to unclean things, unclean things in the Jewish society, right? Where they would use that, that picture of a mustard seed to, to, to point at something that was unclean so that they would go through purification routes. So if that's the case, here's what Jesus just used to say, the beginning of the kingdom of God is like a small, insignificant Seed that is typically cast off or thrown off or not even really paid attention to. Like, that's surprising. And then he goes into the house with leaven and baking. Now, nine times out of ten in your Bible, leaven or yeast is used in a negative context. Right? You know your Bible, you know that it's used. So now Jesus, here's what he's doing to describe the beginning of the kingdom of God. He is using a mustard seed, small and insignificant, and he's using a negative example to turn it to be a positive connotation for the kingdom of God. Again, what Jesus is doing is he's prompting the crowd to try to understand the presence of the kingdom of God in a new and different kind of light. Right? This parable is by these simple words, but these deep analogies, he's pulling them in and going, listen, I want you to hear me. I want you to see that the kingdom of God is different than you expect. The beginning of it should be surprising. It is explosive in nature. The kingdom starts in very unimpressive ways. And I, I have to think that Jesus understanding because he's God, the end of his life going, look at me, this is a fulfillment of Isaiah 53, is it not? 
right? The Old Testament prophesying about the Messiah saying he was what? Unimpressive. That no one esteemed him. That he was nothing to look at. The beginnings are insignificant in worldly standards. However, this is actually encouraging because of what Jesus says moving forward. He's going to go, but this little seed is going to give way to what? This huge tree. This bush, which we'll talk about more here in a second. But let's talk about this surprising power for just a minute. Jesus is confronting not just his hearers' ideals of smallness and significance. Jesus is teaching his hearers to not be hypnotized by what the world deems as significant, what the world esteems as much. And Jesus is telling his hearers, do not be fooled by appearances. Now, if only we could relate to a culture that is consumed by appearances. If only we could relate to a culture that puts stock and significance on the outward and the exterior. This is what we dealt with last week with the religious leaders who confronted Jesus, right? What were they doing? They were, they were whitewashing the tombs. They were making sure that their external rendered to God what God asked of them, right? However, they forgot the most important thing, their hearts. And Jesus is going, listen, don't be fooled by appearance, Don't look at this small little mustard seed and go, that is insignificant. Don't look at the kingdom of God and its surprising power and its surprising beginning and draw the wrong conclusion. And I think some of you have drawn the wrong conclusion about what the kingdom of God is about based upon maybe its insignificance. Maybe in the way you survey culture and you go, it's not really having an impact. It's not really really doing anything. Look at this small, is is it really what it is? And Jesus is going, don't be fooled. Don't be fooled, this small seed, this insignificant seed will give way. It will give way to something beautiful and powerful. I think about, as I've I've read about revivals through church history, and what I mean by revivals is just this this, uh, accelerated movement of God's presence, of salvation, and, and how he moves. Almost every revival you can read about starts not with 10,000 people, not with this, this, this spectacle and this, this grandeur. Now, it gives way sometimes to that, but it starts with two old ladies praying at their house for years. It starts with a group of people who are going, we just long to see God move. Going, Why, what would happen if we give our lunch break to seeking God? For years, it starts with a church hungry for the Lord on a Wednesday morning from seven to eight with six, seven, eight, ten people going, Lord, we want you and all of you. We're calling upon you. That's where his movement starts. Do not discredit the kingdom of God based upon your earthly eyes and perception of what you see. The kingdom of God begins with this surprising power that looks like a mustard seed. But that mustard seed, that leaven, does give way. And this is is the, the growth of the kingdom. Now, what's interesting in this parable is that Jesus' focus in these parables with the mustard seed and with the leaven appear to be more focused on the result or the end, the outcome, than they are on on the growth of the seed or the permeation of the leaven. 
Like we don't, we don't see much, even in the other two gospels where this, this, these parables are contained, we don't see much about the growth. And what that tells me is this, that the growth, the power, is not just a surprising power, but the growth of the kingdom of God is a miraculous power. The seed growing, the mustard seed sown in the garden, its growth happens not by human ingenuity, not by human effort, not by human power, but it happens by the grace of God and power of God alone. That the kingdom of God, yes, it is a surprising power. The growth of the kingdom of God is an absolute miraculous power at work. How leaven invades the dough, how it happens. Listen, it doesn't give an expose on that, okay? It just shares that it is growing and it does its job. How? Miraculously. By the power of God, by the grace of God alone. That is how the kingdom of God grows. And the kingdom appears at first to be weak. If it's like the leaven, it's hidden within the flower. But let me tell you, it is very present. And that kingdom and that growth is unstoppable. Because it's miraculous, because it's not of our own doing. Listen, we can also not hinder the growth. And the working and the permeating, it may be unperceived for a while. It will be evident. And so think about this parable. The farmer throws the small seed into his garden or field, and it grows to this tree. And if, uh, when I was in Israel, I was able to see some of these trees. Now, some, some mustard plants, they, they grow four or five feet. And then you'll see others that grow to like 10 or 12 feet, just these round bushes. And you'll see literal birds. It was this beautiful picture. These birds would find themselves nesting in these trees. So the growth of this little bitty seed gives way to this 10 or 12 foot bush that finds birds nesting in it. And that is the result of the kingdom. So we have the surprising nature of the beginning of the kingdom, the surprising power. We have the growth of the kingdom, which is absolutely a miraculous growth on God's terms and in God's way, right? And then we have the result of the kingdom of God in this parable. And this is an absolute irreplaceable power. So when God's kingdom is growing, its result will be an irreplaceable power in the place that God puts you and me, where God puts his seed, where he puts his people, where he puts his church, his kingdom will have an irreplaceable result and power in that spot. That's what's taking place here. The seed planted in a garden gives way in God's timing, in his miraculous way, to a result where birds of the air, look at it in your text. It says where birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. Now, if you were an astute Jew hearing this parable from Jesus, it would take you back to a prophet. The prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel 17. We have that one back there, Keith. Can you give me that? Listen to this. This is hundreds of years before Jesus ever arrived. This is the prophet Ezekiel's um, picture of what the kingdom of God would look like when the Messiah comes. Now, prior to this, um, it's talking about how a twig, not a seed, but a twig would be pulled off a tree. And it says, and on the mountain height of Israel will I, God, plant it, that it may bear branches and produce fruit and become a noble cedar. All right? So we're not talking about a mustard seed here and a mustard bush. We're talking about a noble, massive cedar. And under it will dwell every kind of bird in the shade of its branches. Birds of every sort will nest. And all the trees of the field shall know that I am the Lord. I will bring low the high tree. He'll do what? He'll bring low the high tree. Meaning, in other words, all the powers you thought were actually in power, the Lord's like, I'm going to bring them low. And you're going to figure out what kind of power this is. 
I'll bring low the high tree and make high the low tree. Dry up from the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. I will bring about my kingdom. Now, leave that up there. I love that last phrase, right? This is like, you want to talk about God being our father. He just used some father language on us right there, right? I have spoken and I will do it, okay? Like, these are my words, God says. This is what my kingdom advancing is going to look like. And listen, that is a miraculous power. It's on me to do it, and I will accomplish it, God says. However, here is how God has chosen to advance his kingdom and the result of his kingdom with this irreplaceable power. Here is how God has chosen to do it through you and me. A man sows a seed. A woman takes leaven and puts it into flour. Now, let me tell you something about leaven. Leaven was not always just yeast. Leaven was a, and, and, and you, co, through COVID, like how many of you became a baker of, of bread or sourdough, right? Like, raise your hand. It's okay. Right? It was this phenomenon. So you actually get this one a little bit more. It was like from, 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 from last week's batch, right? That was leaven. It's this little lump held or preserved that from that, this lady puts it into the flour, into the dough. And what happens in that moment when something outside of the flour permeates it, it begins to do what? Spread and rise. Now notice the human agency, the human involvement in both of these parables. Someone sows the seed. Someone puts the leaven into the flour and begins to work. God's kingdom, the results of God's kingdoms are working and expressed in and through us as his people. You see, this is the result. The result is this bush, this tree that provides shalom. What Ezekiel was talking about, the birds of the air. What is he talking about with birds of the air? Just, just using that as a picture. That was actually representation of the Gentiles, of the nations coming to God. Resting in God, finding peace, finding shalom in him, true rest, true shelter. How, what, what about the leaven? What's that talking about? Well, here in this picture, God using, Jesus using a, a, a negative analogy to, to, to go to a positive analogy, he was using this um, as a way of talking about true provision. Notice, in, at least in my Bible in the ESV, it says that there were three measures of flour, if you look at your footnote, some of your footnotes are going to put some kind of pound on that level of flour, right? She wasn't just making bread for her family. Three measures of flour wasn't three cups. This was like between 35 and 50 pounds of flour. Most scholars estimate that this bread that's talked about in this parable would have fed over 100 people. That's what the kingdom of God looks like. A kingdom not centered on self, but on others. A kingdom that understands that the gospel hasn't just transformed us to do something for us, right? To secure us a home in heaven with God, to sanctify us. But the gospel transforming us does something in you and through you. That the gospel of Jesus Christ is a whole life changing power by the grace of God so that we move from outsiders to recipients to citizens to participants in this kingdom. But we have to understand what his kingdom is like or we're going to try to take it by force and by power, earthly power. I love what uh, author Eric Redmond says. He says, the small seed will grow. 
It will accomplish its great work. The birds of the nations will indeed come and rest in it. This encourages me, he says. It encourages me to be faithful in the day-to-day, to do the soul work for myself and others, to digest the word of God and delight in Christ. God may make things grow quickly or he may not. But at the end of the day, whatever is the case, my privileged duty is to rejoice in his matchless beauty and proclaim his unrivaled fame. That's our privilege. That's our duty in the kingdom of God, this surprising kingdom, this miraculous power, this irreplaceable power that God has has placed all around us. You see, this is what happens when the seed of the gospel, when the, the leaven of the gospel is planted in the different spaces and places that each of us are. Think about this. What happens when the seed of the gospel or the leaven of the gospel is placed in schools? Do you think it just sits there? It's ineffective. That's not what this parable is saying. It's effective to accomplish its work every time. Romans 1, right? Do do we have that one? Think about this. Romans 1 says this about the gospel. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also for the Greek or the Gentile. For the gospel, it is the, there it is again, the power of God. So listen, as that leaven, as that seed is planted in schools, it permeates. It gives way to growth every time. When that's planted in the spheres of law or businesses or healthcare, when that seed of the gospel That leaven of the gospel is planted in our homes. Let me tell you, it does not return void. It doesn't return without changing. He said, Kyle, I wish God would speed up. I wish this permeating would be a little bit more visible. I wish that the healthcare system wasn't broken, right? I wish that laws or school, whatever you would want to point to as a broken system, right? I wish it was just fixed. What's our responsibility? Is it to fix it? No, our responsibility is to wade faithfully into those moments as people who have been transformed by the power of the gospel, as gospel agents permeating and bringing healing and shalom and rest, putting out those branches that God develops and grows in our life so that the birds of the air might come and find shelter and find true rest, to put the leaven in the dough, right, so that it might permeate, so that I'm not just fed, so not just that my family's fed, so that all those around me have true provision, And we may be able to go, where does that true provision, where does that true rest come from? It comes from the grace and mercy of King Jesus alone. And that's where we must land. That this surprising nature, this miraculous power, this irreplaceable power comes from an irreplaceable king. And that is King Jesus. That's the one giving this parable. There's only one other place in the Gospels where this idea of mustard seed or seed is given, not in a parable. And it's in John chapter 12, verses 23 through 24, and this is Jesus speaking about himself. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat, there it is, falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is going, I am the seed that's going to be planted. What looks like to the earth, what looks like to the people, defeat, insignificance, thrown away, is going to be buried, but is going to give, after three days, growth to a kingdom that will reign forever. 
And so hear me. That Jesus, what he's doing in this parable is he's inviting us in in a new way to see him. To see him as the one who fulfills all of these things. He is the one who is the surprising king of the kingdom. He is the one who is the miraculous power that God alone brought. Think about this. Jesus gave up everything. He counted everything that he had before the Father as meaningless to come here and be placed in the womb of a virgin. Talk about surprising. The God of the universe would come and put on flesh and dwell among us. What's even more surprising is that he dwell among us to take on our sin and our shame and then invite us into his kingdom to participate, to love, to serve, to permeate this watching world. How incredible is this? And so we're going to come this morning to the tables of communion. And the tables of communion is a place where we remember the death of Jesus, his shed blood and his broken body for us. How do we enter into this kingdom? What is the entrance into the kingdom of God? Good works? You couldn't do enough. Behave better? You couldn't behave well enough. Do whatever you want? Well, you don't get to set the terms. The terms for kingdom entrance are set by the king himself. And here's what the king tells us. That entrance into his kingdom is through him and him alone. And what I mean by that is by us putting our faith and our trust in him. And when we put our faith and trust in Jesus, we in turn receive his grace. We in turn receive his mercy for what it is, a free gift, a miracle. And so this morning as we prepare hosts, I'd like for you to prepare for us. I've really been thinking about, and here's, here's the beauty in both the uh, hard thing about the parables, is that they just sit with you all week. This parable has just been sitting with me all week. As I've prayed about it, as I've, I've thought about how, what to communicate. And I think in that moment, the Lord's like, exactly. His words, particularly his stories in these, these pictures, are meant to rest on us and go, how do you view my kingdom? Because how you view his kingdom is how ultimately you view him. If you view the kingdom of God being taken by force and strength and you've got to work your way, what does that say about King Jesus? It says that he's not powerful enough to save you. It says that, that he's lacking in something and really, really needs you to advance his kingdom. When Jesus goes, listen, I'm not, I'm not lacking in anything, but I'm inviting you in. I'm inviting you in to receive me and receive the joy of this kingdom. And this morning, he's inviting you in. He's inviting us back into his kingdom to receive him. Let me pray for us. Father, God, thank you for your word. Your word that is alive, it is active. And Father, I pray even in these moments of preparation for communion, Lord, I pray that you would show us the areas where we have replaced you as king in our lives, Jesus, with other powers, 
with other securities, with other things. Lord, I pray this morning we might get just an inch, just an inch more understanding of your kingdom, of how you view significance, of how you view power in your kingdom. Holy Spirit, I pray that as we submit these moments to you in preparation to communion, that you would speak to us, that you would give us ears to hear and hearts to receive your planted word this morning. Lord, I thank you for the time that we live in. But Lord, I pray asking that your kingdom would come again in fullness and in power and in beauty. Lord, we need you. Forgive us for thinking we can do this on our own. Prepare our hearts, prepare our minds to be before you and receive communion. In Jesus' name, amen.